Praise God. Praise God. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So awesome to be in the house of the Lord this this evening. Um, before I begin, um, we'll just start with a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for your faithfulness, for your kindness towards us. We thank you, Jesus, that we can be found in your house, Lord Jesus, amongst your people, Lord Jesus, in one accord, one place, Lord Jesus, one mind. And I pray, Heavenly Father, as, as we uh, would hear your word, Lord Jesus, we'd listen to it, but more than that, we would apply it to our lives, Heavenly Father, that we would not leave this place the same way that we came in here, Lord Jesus, but that we would have a change of direction, Lord Jesus, a course correction in our lives, I pray in your holy, mighty, precious name, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Well, I just want to thank Pastor and the church for an uh, opportunity to preach here uh, this evening. Um, it's, it's a bit strange because... You know, usually we're at uh, Bassendine, and um, there's a few more people in Malaga, and it's like, I know you all, but I haven't actually uh, uh, preached here for a, for a while. Um, but tonight, I really, I want to preach on a simple message. Um, it's the start of a new, well, we're two, two months into the new year, and perhaps your life has taken certain direction. Um, and in the year ahead, there's so much more in store. Uh, most of it you're not going to know. Um, some of it you might have plans, but, you know, God knows it all. Um, we make our plans. We perhaps want to achieve certain things this year. There's goals that we want to accomplish. There's places that we're planning on going and people that we want to meet. Uh, but we get so busy. We get really busy with all doing lots of things in life, in uh, our families, in, in church, in, in our jobs. We get so busy with the what. We get so busy with the what, and we forget the why. And when we forget the why, um, the what tends to lose its meaning. When we forget the why, the what can lose its meaning. hope you understand what I mean by that. Um, Tonight, I, I really hope just to orient our, our bearings towards Christ. And many of you probably you know what a compass is. Um, it's used to navigate. And we can think of the why question as the, the true north. And when you know the north, you can figure out the rest and where to go. When you know the why, it's easier to figure out the who the what, the where, the when, and the how. Now, it's not some deep theological revelation tonight. It's simply a reminder. Why are we here? We're here because God gets the glory. Amen? That's the title of the message tonight, that God gets the glory. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, that God gets the glory. And as this year progresses, my prayer is that we don't forget the why, that why we're here, that true north, so that throughout this year, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, no matter who we meet, in all things in our lives, that God will get the glory. Amen. I pre presented this um, 
last week as one of our goals of our church. Uh, the mountain that we have ahead is very high. There's millions of dollars that are required for a new church. And there's thousands of souls that we expect God um, to send us. And that is because as his church, when we reach these goals, we can look back, we can thank God, and we can give him the glory. Because it's not about our abilities. It's not about our talents or the skills or the programs or the knowledge that we have. And there's nothing wrong with these things, the what's and the how's. We need them, and there's no excuse for being slack. But what is the point if we build a massive church with thousands of people, but his glory and his presence is not here? And we turn around and say, look what we've achieved. Look what we've done. What is the point in that? No, but it's all for the glory of God. Amen? There are a number of examples in the Bible where it seems almost cruel uh, that the things that God uh, allowed to happen to people. Um, and we can see this in the story of Lazarus. If you have your Bible, we'll turn there. We've got it up on the screen as well. Um, uh, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, and that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now he loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, and when he had heard therefore that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, he saith to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And then to verse 14, Jesus, then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So two days, uh, he stayed in, um, uh, in the place he was, and then Lazarus died. And then in verse 17, Jesus uh, comes to Bethany. And when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave for four days already. And I, I was reading this and I was thinking, huh? Jesus had a friend named Lazarus. The Bible says a friend whom he loved. A friend whom he could have healed. But what did he do? He let him die. Now that doesn't sound like a really good friend to me. He abode two more days after hearing the news that um, Lazarus was sick. He did it on purpose. And Lazarus died. He allowed Mary and Martha, um, Lazarus' sisters, to grow, go through the grief of losing their brother. And it wasn't just Mary and Martha. It was all the, the whole family. Um, and if any of you here have ever lost someone, I've lost... Uh, my father a number of years ago, I can assure you that the death of a loved one is not something that you just breeze over. There's, there's a lot of grief. There's a lot of sorrow. There's a lot of anger, perhaps. And it's an excruciating pain to go through the loss of someone that you are so close to. And what, a, what pain, what pain all of Lazarus' family were experiencing at that time. 
how much hurt that they were going through, that they had lost their brother. And here's Jesus a few days later sort of strolling in and saying, I'm here. So what happened? What happened to Lazarus? Well, starting from verse 39, and Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Let me read that again. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I, by I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. So he did it because he wanted them to believe that God had sent him, that he was the living God. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And when he was dead, and when he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin, Jesus saith unto him, loose him and let him go. So Jesus he allowed Lazarus to die, but there was a greater purpose behind his death. Jesus was looking beyond the immediate grief, beyond the immediate sorrow and the pain that it would inflict on his family. There was something greater in motion that no one else could see, that no one else could really understand. Verse 4 explains it. said, When Jesus had heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. See, Lazarus, he, he had to die. He had to die in order for Jesus to resurrect him and for them to believe and for God to get the glory. And as I read this a bit further, I realized that Lazarus's resurrection from the dead was actually part of a much bigger picture. It was unequivocally sure that he rose from the dead, that Jesus raised him up. This fact could not be denied because Jesus waited. <laughs> Jesus waited. He, as soon as they told him that he could have run and maybe Lazarus was almost dead, but Jesus, like, he made sure Lazarus stinks. He's in the grave. He's dead. <laughs> no one, no Jew, no, no one could say, oh, but what about maybe he was still okay? Maybe that Jesus, like, we made sure. He's gone. Jesus performed the miracle for all of the Jews to see. He performed it in a hope that if all the Jews, not just Lazarus' family, but all of them, all of Israel, the Pharisees, the scribes, the high priests, every class, every Jew, that they would see this and that they would believe that he was God. And that they would glorify him. Amen. Jesus loved Israel. He loved them. And he came for Israel. Matthew 23, 37 says, this is Jesus on the mount. And he was saying, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them which are sent unto thee. How often I would have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. 
You see a man here that loves his people. The scribes, the Pharisees, the ones that hated him, he loved them and he came for them. And so Lazarus had to die because he was trying to reach out to the lost house of Israel. But what happened? They would not. They would not accept him. And in between the verses we read is verse 35, a verse that many of us probably could quote off the top of our head. Jesus wept. It's a very simple verse. Um, And it's so profound. And I don't know, perhaps part of that weeping was that Jesus knew from after this miracle, from this point onwards, those that he loved so dearly, those that he came for, those that he would have gathered under his wings, that they were going to reject him. And that would have hurt. Because after this miracle, they wouldn't believe who he was and they would refuse to glorify God. See, Lazarus's resurrection, it was the point in time that put wheels in motion for Jesus' very own death. If you read verse 53, it says, this is after Lazarus rose from the dead. It says, Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. They took counsel together to put him to death. And imagine Jesus. He's here. He's performed this miracle in a hopes that the people that he loves would accept him, would love him, would glorify him, would believe on him. And what, what was their reaction? Death. We have to kill this man. He calls himself God. And who did they find? Who was the council? Only two chapters later, we find. Therefore, uh, in John thirteen thirty one. therefore, when he was gone out, speaking about Judas, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. And God is glorified with him. You can see the pieces coming together. And where am I going with this? So just follow me for a minute as I connect these dots. Jesus, he stayed in the place that he was to allow Lazarus to die. Because it was a bigger part of a bigger picture to give Israel the opportunity to believe in him. The opportunity to glorify him. But their their reaction was that they would not. And their reaction was to reject him. And this resulted in Jesus' death. Judas betrayed him. All his disciples left him. And Jesus died on the cross. But that wasn't the end. He rose again. And he was glorified. Amen. He was glorified to bring salvation to you and to I. See, God knows all things. And Pastor Always says, he tells long stories. God pieces our story together because he knows the beginning from the ending. We don't understand why Lazarus died when we're in that circumstance and that situation. But God understands and God knows. And Lazarus' death has a parallel to all of us here. As Lazarus died, so must we die for the glory of God. 
not physically. Well, some some die physically. The, the the disciples, they besides John, they all died. But but we have to die. This, this sounds really morbid. Um, but we do. We have to die to ourself. We have to die to our sin. We have to die to the the flesh, to this world, to our desires. There has to be death. There has to be death. He must increase. We must decrease. Amen. Second Timothy 2.11 said, It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Luke chapter 9, 23 and 24 says, And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him what? Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. The Christian life is one of self-denial. We have to lose our life carrying our cross daily. This is a life that brings glory to God. Don't worry, this message will get better. It's not just about death. Um, But I'm building a foundation, a platform. If we turn to Luke chapter 17, and this is the, the narrative of the ten lepers. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show thyselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one, and one of them, when he saw he was healed, what did he do? He turned back and with a loud voice, he glorified God. With a loud voice, he glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Where did the others go? They are not found that return to give glory unto God, save this stranger. And he say unto and he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. See, there's a difference. Out of the ten, there was only one that returned. But what did he do? When I re- remember, growing up, I remember reading this, this story and, it, and I always focused on the, you know, the, the one came back and he gave thanks. And that is true. He did. He came back and he gave thanks. But Jesus specifically responded in verses 17 and 18 when he says, Where are the nine? Are they not found that return to give? Give what? Glory to God. Then he said, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. See, a life with the purpose to give glory to God, that is what makes us whole. That word whole means to save. That is what saves us. The other nine were healed, but not all of them were made whole. Not all of them were saved. See, 
we can, we can be healed. We can be blessed. God can provide for us financially. God can provide for us in so many ways. We can receive miracles. We can be touched by God. But not everyone is made whole. I hope you, this makes sense. Why? Why are they not made whole? Not because God doesn't want to make them whole. Because people haven't responded like this man. Because people forget. It's really easy to forget. Not everyone remembers that it's, it's not about me. It's about him. And that's what this man did. He realized, I'm healed. I'm made whole. The others maybe said, I'm made whole. I can now, I can go and start a, get a job. Now I can go and see my family. Now I can go and do, and it was all about now what I can do. They went their ways and who knows what they did. They were healed. But one man came back and was saved. One man came back and he was made whole because he recognized this was Jesus. This is God. And I have to glorify him. I have to magnify him. I have to lift him up because this healing is not about me. This healing is about him. And that's what he did with a loud voice. He worshipped him. He glorified him. God deserves the glory. And, and for all of us, we have to remember that we always return to give him the glory. Why are we here? It's because of him. Why am I healed? It's because of him. He deserves the glory. There is one with a bigger picture than all of us have. An eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God that knows every, everything, that is everywhere, that is all-powerful. And, and recognizing that, that's what this man recognized. He recognized, I've been living how many years as a leper? And in a moment, I'm healed. This is bigger than me. Something miraculous has happened. See, not everyone remembers because, particularly now, we live in a world of I. We are gods to ourselves. The age of self. iPhones, iPads, I, everything. The world is filled with pride, and pride is focused on self. And I was thinking, like, you know, God's not up in heaven. He's not insecure. He's not needy. It's not like, oh, I really want my people to really worship me. I, I, I don't feel as good today because they didn't lift their hand. Because they didn't work. He doesn't need us. He's not insecure. We get insecure in our relationships when perhaps people don't um, show us love or people don't care for us. But God's God. Like, he, he made everything. He doesn't need us to worship him. But he desires it. He made us to worship him. He is a jealous God. He made us and he created us to worship him. And that's in our very nature. And we all worship something. All of you here worship something. Or you worship someone. It's not if you worship, but it's what you worship. Because God's made us this way. And his desire is for us to worship him. His desire is for us 
to glorify him. We see in the Old Testament, Israel, you know, you read the Old Testament and it's like, they just keep making the same mistake. Why do they keep building these graven images? Why do they keep building these statues of gold, of bronze? of Like, you just think, you know, God told you, don't make these things. Why does someone break them down? Then the next chapter you read it, someone build it back up. Then they go to this mountain and start worshipping this god of Molech and Baal. And it's like, don't you learn your lesson? Um, but you see this throughout the whole Old Testament. Um, Exodus chapter 20. And that's why God gave the first commandment. He gave this commandment to address, to address this. Um, and God spake these words saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me. And, you know, today, most people, well, particularly in Australia, people don't have little images that they have in their houses that they go down and worship every single day. You know, it's it's not images of gold and silver or... Um, but the, the images that we worship um, is the image of self. We are our own gods. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, they worship the creature rather than the creator. And you can just see it in our society. The, um, you know, social media really encourages self-worship. It's all about you, you know, your, your image and how you look online all of that stuff is a lot of it's just fake. Um, it's highly curated. Uh, it's very filtered. It's edited, and it depicts people that people's perfect lives. You know, they it's to get how many likes, or to it's all about seeking worth. Um, and there's this this real selfishness that just plagues our society. And we have to be careful that it just it doesn't infiltrate our lives, that it, it doesn't infiltrate the church, where it's all about self. You know, what can I get from God? God, he's, God's not a genie. He's not a, he doesn't, you don't rub the, the um, lamp and, and, you know, I want, I want to wish God, I, I need a healing. And then the next morning you wake up, and, you know, God, I, I, I need this, I, I need a job. I, like that's that's not the God we serve. He's he's not a genie that grants all our wishes and desires. As much as we'd love God to be that, you know, having a lamp under there, you know, God, I need a million dollars today. God, I need this. No, that's not the God we serve. We serve a God that is all powerful, all knowing, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the ending. And you know, God, He He heals us, and He saves us, and He He blesses us, and you know, we we. We're there to ask him and petition him. Um, but the thing is, do we give him the glory? Do we give God the glory? 
Do remember to go back and glorify him for who he is. When God provided, when God provides for us. Or do we have this idea of God that he's, you know, we just got to rub that lamp to get something from him. Because it's about me and what I want and what I need, what I can get. No, that's not the God we serve. Our life is a life to glorify him. I need to be made. We need to be made whole, to be saved. Jesus said, it's better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into fire hell. There's a song that we sing, which I won't sing because I don't have the best voice. But the the verse uh, says, let your glory fill this place. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking... Which place? Where? Let your glory fill this place. Are we talking about this church? Of course. But it's more. It's more than God's glory filling this church on a Sunday or a Wednesday. Let your glory fill this place, our hearts. I want you to press your heart to fill this place, the, the emotions, the feelings, the things. Let your glory fill this place. Point to your mind. Let your glory fill this place. It, it takes a different meaning, doesn't it? When Solomon, he dedicated the temple in first, Second Chronicles chapter 7, says, now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of God filled, the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of God had filled the Lord's house. And 1 Corinthians 3.16, we're in the New Testament now. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? And the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. You are the temple of God. And the glory needs to fill this place. When we pray, when His fire and His Holy Spirit consumes us, when we sacrifice, when we worship the Creator, His glory displaces everything in this temple, in our minds, in our hearts. So his glory consumes us. John 4.24 says, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We don't just worship God in church. We worship God by the way that we live, by obeying, the, by, by obeying his word. Worship is far deeper than a religious practice. I spoke before about worship being the core of who of what we were created for. And Pastor um, preached on this scripture in Matthew 23 this morning. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment and mercy and faith. Ye ought to have done and not leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, 
which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Jesus continually calls out false worship. He continually calls them hypocrites. And if I was put that in a modern day context, what does it matter if you, you fast, if you give, if you pray, if you sing, if you dance and you clap, you come to church. But if you don't love the truth, if you don't obey my word, what does that look like? If you don't love your wife, if you don't treat your husband with respect, if you don't train up your children in the ways of the Lord, if you don't honor your mother and your father, if you don't obey my commandments to love God, to love your neighbor, to love your enemy, if you don't make disciples, all these things, what does it matter? If the outward appearance is religious and great, but inwardly, what is happening? Is God's glory inside the cup? We need to um, do all the thi- all those things, pray, and we need to um, give tithes, and we can't neglect all those things that I talked about. But worship is not just Sunday. It's not what happens on in in service twice a week, once a week. We worship God. We worship Him in spirit. We worship Him. In truth, we worship God when we live our lives the way that He's called us, living according to His word every single day of the week. You know, the way that we treat our family, it matters to God. That's worship to God. And it's what Jesus called Pharisees all the time. He called them hypocrites. And a hypocrite, it's it's another word for an actor. You play the part, but you Pharisees, you're not the real deal. And we can't afford to be Pharisees, just playing the part. Because that doesn't bring glory to God. That doesn't bring any, any glory to God. Because hypocrisy is it's actually a form of self-worship. Because it's all about yourself. Look how good I look. Look, look at, um, it's a feeling of religion that we may have. But it's not the relationship. It's not the process that we're willing to go through. It's that we're, un- we're, we're not willing to die. We're not willing for God to get the glory. If I could get a musician to come up. Um, we're talking about God. God getting the glory in our lives. And I want to close with a story um, you may be familiar with. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue and he decreed that everyone, when they heard the music, that they would bow down and worship this image. And he said those that refused, that they would be thrown into a fiery furnace. And sure enough, when the music played, everybody bowed down and worshipped the image. Except there were three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And it, the, the king was told, these men, everyone obeyed your command, but there's three men that didn't. And Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He was angry. And he called them in to answer for their disobedience. And then he warned them and he said, if you disobey again, 
that you would be thrown into the fiery furnace. And they made, they made it clear to Nebuchadnezzar that, you know, you can play the music again. We're going to do exactly the same thing. We're not going to bow down to that image. They refused. And Daniel chapter 3, if we could get that last slide up, this was their response. They said in verse 17, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Let's just stand at this time. These um, young boys, they, they recognized that, that God was able to deliver them. And all of you here, you know, you know the God we serve. In your mind, you know he's the God of miracles. You know that he can, the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to him. You know, everything, he's, the, he's the Alpha and Omega. He, he's all-powerful. And he's able. He is able to deliver them. But the next verse says, but if not. And these three words I hope you'll take with you tonight. But if not. But if not. God can heal me. He can deliver me from my enemy. He can provide and he can restore. But if not. But if not, Nebuchadnezzar, if not, King, let it be known. I will not serve any other God, but God. We may go through a lot of suffering in life, and we may die as it seems it were. We go through things that we don't understand. We go through things that we don't know. And just like Lazarus and his family, they didn't understand Why am I going through all this stuff? Why did he have to die? Why didn't Jesus come earlier? But that's not the end. That's not the end of the story. Let it be known, King. There is a God with a bigger picture. There is a God who will get the glory. And let it be known that I will not bow down to any other God. Him will I worship. Let it be known. He is the one that I will glorify in this temple. Him will I worship in spirit and in truth. And church, the story doesn't end there. Because when they threw them into the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar said, What? Didn't we throw three? I see four. See, Jesus is not a God that leaves us in our suffering. He is a God that is in our suffering with us. Through the fire, through the storm, through everything that we go through. He is with us in our suffering. So this this evening, this altar is open. If you want to spend some time with the Lord, perhaps there is suffering that you are going through. God is here. He is here to help you. He is here. Let's let that be on our lips that he he gets the glory this evening he gets the glory hallelujah jesus praise god this altar is open hallelujah